Today on the show, we're going where no podcast has gone before. Leo, the mm. final frontier, space. <laughs> you know, at first I was skeptical, but then in podcast, I like searched the final frontier dot 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 space exclamation point. Yeah. And didn't find anything. So I think you're right. I think this is the yeah. first time <laughs> we're talking about space. That's us. That's us. Space boys. Space boys. <laughs> 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 you could even call us Astro Boys. I don't think anyone's ever said that. No, like I feel like I feel like we're we're kind of jamming. <laughs> we're kind of like space jamming. We could even call oh. this Space Jam. Yes, uh, that's, that's good. That sounds original. I feel that's like I've good. never heard that before. If we wore cowboy hats, yeah. Oh, true. I, I, I think we could be Space Cowboys. True. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and definitely we're not we're not passive. We're kind of forceful. So maybe a Space Force. Could be yeah. our, our sort of like emblem. Yeah, yeah. We're so forceful. <laughs> we're planting a lot of flags today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're claiming all of these copyrights immediately. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, we obviously we don't want anyone taking our intellectual property. We want to spend the next twenty five years tied up in litigations. <laughs> That's our goal. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show... Oh boy. Democracy wins. As you know? always. As always. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it's never once Eagle failed. screech in the background. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about space travel because uh-huh we put up a poll and our patrons were like hey all of these topics sound wonderful how do we choose but they did choose and what they chose is this episode don't you dare ever say we don't ever do anything for you because we do today is proof very occasionally <laughs> very sometimes do we respond to your emails Sometimes. Sometimes. We try so hard. We try so hard. Now, before we get into today's episode, a very quick spoiler warning. Absolutely no spoilers today. Yes. We will be talking about some events that take place well before the first book. And then also, later in the episode, we'll be talking about some vague, non-spoiler events that take place thousands of years after the books. So, as far as the plot of the books themselves is concerned, no spoilers today. It's all extended lore stuff. Indeed it is. And finally, a huge, huge shout-out, a highliner-size shout-out to our Quisat Haderach-level patron. That's right. Case Aiken. Case. Today, we're going to talk about how a very clever fella discovered that it turns out light and time are synonymous. I think that same clever fellow would discover that case and generosity oh, synonymous. Synonymous. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a scientific fact yeah. can be proven and <laughs> reproduced. Indeed. In 30 years, we're not even going to say you're so generous anymore. We're going to say you're so case aching. You're it's so gonna be case. Very uncomfortable for you and your family, but that's just how <laughs> language evolves. <laughs> so that's how it Sorry works. to tell you. This is the price of the golden path. Anyway. 
Thank you, Case. And of course, our thank you extends to all of our patrons. What you do makes what we do possible. So thank you so much. Indeed. Thank you. Okay. Housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about today's episode. Here is the game plan. We will begin today's episode by discussing the history of space travel in the Dune universe, a lot of it pulled from the Dune Encyclopedia, and then we'll take a little bit of a detour to get geeky about a certain guy named Holtzman that many Mm. of you may have already heard about on this very podcast. Love him. And finally, we will wrap up at the end of the episode by talking about the iconic Spacing Guild, their Highliners, and the future of human space flight. Yep. All of that in today's episode, folks. Can you believe it? That's why <laughs> it's a seven and a half hour episode. That's right. Buckle up. <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to try to be brief. All right. Well, before we get into it, let's take a quick breather. Buckle your seats. Make sure everything is secure before this spaceship takes off. Don't go anywhere, dear listener. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your little breather, breathing in space. Pretty hard, but I hope you managed. Let's get into today's topic, space travel pre-spacing guild. Yeah. So, okay, according to the timeline in the Dune Encyclopedia, humanity began colonizing off-Earth planets from 14,100 BG to about 13,600 BG which translates roughly in real world years to about 2100 to 2600 in modern times. Right, if you sort of do the encyclopedia timeline to real world timeline math. Yeah. That that's kind of where it lands. Now, we only mention this because technically, yes, humanity has been able to travel through space since all the way back in 14,000 AG. Right. But to be clear, That space travel was very slow, very cumbersome, and incredibly expensive, much like it is now, you know, in the year 2023. Totally. Now, the slow, cumbersome, expensive travel that humanity is kind of doing continues until about 13,000 BG. Right. So this is uh, another 400 or so years after that first 500-year period of settlement. And that is when we sort of stumble upon, through kind of by accident, the suspensor nullification effect, which Mm -hmm. is the effect that allowed us to travel faster than light. Yes. Which, as you can imagine, makes it a lot easier and a lot more accessible to start colonizing further and further star systems and further and further pieces of our galaxy. Right, exactly. And this obviously has a very positive effect on humanity's footprint in the galaxy. Expansion is faster. It may not be cheaper, but the borders of what is possible have now grown. 
because right. of the suspenser nullification effect and because humanity can now travel faster than the speed of light. But again, to be clear, we are still very early in the overall timeline of human space travel. Even after the suspenser nullification effect, space travel was not reliable for thousands of years after that. And it wasn't until a particular guy named Holtzman made multiple major discoveries that we will talk about later that human space travel became futuristic and reliable and something that the common person could do. And it's all because of the Holtzman effect, which is the sort of umbrella term that was given to all of his incredible discoveries that changed humanity forever. Yeah. And again, this is, this is analogous. The first boats that we had as a species were one thing, and there were quite a few that would just go missing. You're like, oh, right. that whole boat of our friends is gone. Oops. Dang. Well, better build a new boat, I guess. And that was like hundreds of years. And then some cultures got really good at making boats, and now boats are pretty reliable. That's the same pattern. Exactly. The pattern here is that although the technology would get better, and although the uh, maybe the engines would get more powerful and that sort of thing, one of the challenges that has always been for space travel was navigation. And navigation became this key issue in perfecting or making space travel a little bit more reliable. Yeah. Because as it turns out, folks, you're out in space trying to use Apple Maps to like <laughs> get the <laughs> fastest route. And Apple Maps is like, that street doesn't exist. And you're like, uh -huh. what the fuck are you talking about? It clearly exists. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, you don't have to go all the way out to space for Apple Maps to biff it. You just yeah, have to true. get into like some messier parts of New York City. And yeah, you will be lost forever. Be in my neighborhood and it doesn't work <laughs> at all. Again, for space travel, we recommend Waze. Yeah, <laughs> Waze, Waze has really cornered the space Rock travel solid. market. Yeah. NASA <laughs> NASA pilots, they get into their spaceship <laughs> and they get on their phone and they go, Waze, the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and Waze is like, in 140,000 miles, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so let's oh say God. let's say you're in space and you're using ways traveling through space just remains like this impossible undertaking right we have a quote from the encyclopedia here quote the staggering amount of data to be processed and the infinitesimally short time available for computation made pre-guild navigation entirely the work of computers end quote which yeah yeah makes <laughs> yes. sense same today it's right. like, you're going to tell me, go three blocks down and take a right where there used to be a Quiznos. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Let me just open up my computer, <laughs> like my supercomputer. Yeah. And it was tough because even with computers handling all of those computations on board, it was still clunky and it was still really delayed. There would be all sorts of issues that could pop up. Basically, commerce, politics, even war were, and this is kind of the key point here, decentralized. Yes. There wasn't really a great cloud, right? There wasn't like an iCloud or a Google Drive of your directions. Everyone was kind of winging it on their own. Yeah. Messy. Messy and decentralized. And that's how it was for thousands and thousands of years. Right. And you can't necessarily run a spacefaring empire without some sort of centralized power. Yeah. And I mean, like even the idea of commerce, right? money is what we agree it's paid like what it is worth what we agree it's worth 
Right. And if you, you out there in like Gamma 7 are paying $800 for a five ounce baggie of saffron, like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what you're paying. You have yeah. no idea that I got the same baggie for 25 bucks in my neck of the woods. Right. You know, you just don't know. So you don't know. It's lawless chaos. <laughs> absolute chaos. The conversion rates, an absolute fucking mess. You never know what you're going to get next time you go to Gamma 7. Yeah. Gamma 7's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Gamma 7. Now, luckily, all of this changes. Gamma 7 fucking falls in line when uh-huh. <laughs> a certain technology called the Holtzman Wave is discovered. The Holtzman Wave is notable because it made nearly instantaneous interstellar communication possible. Yeah. You could now finally text your mom back from Gamma 7. You get that text message that says you up and you can respond in a timely manner. Yes. The number of people getting laid because of this technology oh, skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. <laughs> Holtzman is, is the <laughs> ultimate matchmaker. Now, <laughs> this does fundamentally change space travel in the galaxy, though, because being able to send and receive signals almost instantaneously anywhere in the galaxy naturally makes travel easier right yeah. being able to send information and specifically navigational information back and forth instantly is a game changer and the way this worked in practice is interesting i have i've been saying nearly instantaneous on purpose right because it mm. wasn't like i send it it pings off a satellite and it arrives in the next 30 seconds there was a little bit of tinkering they had to do the dune encyclopedia for example tells us about a trading corporation called Transcom, which actually directed its ships from a central navigation computer. So you had like your Apple iCloud server somewhere out in the galaxy on a satellite, the central computer that had all the data. And then the ships, the Transcom ships, would have to periodically drop out of hyperspace at predefined locations They would ping this central computer, which would give them course corrections or updates on their trip. And then they'd apply those corrections and then jump back into hyperspace, continue their trip, at least until the next location to drop out and check in. So it's interesting to see the way that worked. There were these clearly defined like sort of bunny hop locations around the galaxy where you'd have to drop in, get Wi-Fi signal again figure out where you're going, and then go back into hyperspace. It's cool to yeah. think of it that way. I do that on the R train all the time. <laughs> it's just like yes. every few stations I <laughs> reconnect. and Yeah, oh, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. Totally. Get off the R train. <laughs> <laughs> look yeah. behind you. What the fuck? Oh, my God. Why is that Apple Maps telling ago? me to look behind me? <laughs> Apple Maps is so threatening these days. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. I, and again, I like the the creativity of the Student encyclopedia authors. Transcom sounds like a company that I just wouldn't trust. I'd be like, oh, oh does that absolutely really not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that carries us this, this Holtzman wave that connected these dots, made all this possible. Yeah. Carries us into talking about the Holtzman effect, right? Yes. And again, all of this sending and receiving information, the you up messages, the look behind you messages, the various threatening and or horny messages people were sending to each other. Yeah. It was all thanks to the discovery of Ibrahim, 
Ibrahim von Holtzman, that's his name, right? Ibrahim? Oh, wow. I never typed his full name anywhere in the script. That yeah, but I think that's his name. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say confidently, that's his name. And if I'm wrong, send me an email. I'll say hi. So let's talk a little bit more about his technologies. Now, yeah. to be clear, as you might know, we have already dived deep into the man, the myth, the legend, Holtzman himself. That's right. And that episode is so much fun. One of my favorites. Love that episode. It's a lot of So if you're interested in learning more about him, uh, go check it out. And also, as a big caveat to this section of this episode, we are not going to get into as much the like pseudo-physics of the various Holtzman effect fields. The Dune Encyclopedia gives a lot of data, a lot of information. If you want to get lost in a Dune Encyclopedia entry, this is a good one to get lost in. Uh, It's dense. It's confusing. And a lot of it's kind of made up (laughs) mumbo jumbo. True. Yep. So our goal here today is just to give you a, a kind of a simplified overview and to share some fun lore along the way as we look at how this Holtzman effect was applied toward space travel. Yes, exactly. And actually, to give our listeners a sense of how dense this section in the encyclopedia actually is. Sure. Yeah. Here are literally the opening words. Quote, the Holtzman effect is actually a series of four interrelated forces, each named for the number of dimensions that the single or composite force has. End quote. Cool. Amazing (laughs) jumble of words there that ultimately mean very little because a lot of it is, as you said, made up sci-fi mumbo jumbo. But to try and distill this section down into its most simple parts, basically what it's saying is that the Holtzman effect has four main components, or four main parts, that make up the bulk of Holtzman's discoveries throughout his life. And these are the things that fundamentally changed the course of human history forever in the Dune universe. So to talk about those four dimensions, we have the zero-dimensional nodes, Uh which we're told have no physical existence. These are basically the reset point for the other forces. So when a one-dimension, two-dimension, three-dimension collapses, it collapses back into its zero-dimension node. Yeah, it's like a vector. It's a point in space, but it itself does not have, like, mass. Exactly. Now, one step above that, we have the one-dimensional forces. And these are what we've talked about already, the Holtzman waves. These are the forces that are used for near-instantaneous communication. Yeah. Like a line, it's a point-to-point communication. Oh, good way to think about it. Yeah. One level above that is our two-dimensional forces. And these are what's used for shields. The shielding technology that we see all throughout the Dune universe is thanks to these two-dimensional ultimate effect forces. And another name for them that pops up throughout the encyclopedia is planar forces. Right. So we have our X, our Y, we've got our square field of Holtzman effect. That's right. Now, the last dimension here is, you might have guessed, the three-dimensional forces. And this, interestingly enough, is the thing that humanity accidentally stumbled upon all of those thousands of years ago. because like 7,000 years earlier. <laughs> 7,000 years before Holtzman <laughs> yeah. discovered it and gave it a name and you know did his science on it. 
three-dimensional forces are the suspensor nullification effect. And as we've discussed, humanity stumbled upon this, and this allowed them to travel faster than light and thus travel across space. So that is a very basic overview of the Holtzman effect and its four major components. And of course, if you're interested in getting into the sci-fi nitty-gritty of it all, we highly recommend you check out the entry in the encyclopedia itself. Yeah. Now, it's one of those things, right? I think we were talking about this period of space travel that was kind of chaotic and decentralized and had a lot of different things going on, right? Saffron was being sold for all sorts of prices all over the galaxy. And this discovery of the suspensor nullification effect, this faster-than-light travel that allowed people to expand out into even further reaches of space had a detrimental effect to the -the at-the-time emperor for reasons that I think make kind of intuitive sense. Yeah. Basically, we had this house series, C-E-R-E-S, and they were kind of like, they they really just didn't see the downside to expanding and making their empire bigger, right? They were like, yeah, 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 go out, populate. The bigger our empire is, the cooler we are. Yeah. And then they were like, wait, fuck, this is, (laughs) how do we get taxes from people so far away? Like, how do Uh, we even tell them there's a new law that they need to order? Does anyone have tabs on Gamma 7? What are those fuckers up to? What are, what's fucking Gamma 7 up to? They're so (laughs) gentrified at this point. Oh my God. Wild. (laughs) Gamma 7 served by the G train. Uh, Yeah, so... Absolutely. They're losing track of things. And because of this, the First Empire, as it's called, capital F, capital E, First Empire, collapsed after 3,000 years, basically because they couldn't text each other. Yep. (laughs) Basically because they kept kept sending those you up messages, and then they wouldn't get replies for like months and months, and then they would die of being horny. Same. (laughs) Same. (laughs) (laughs) A couple times a day, buddy. (laughs) The revival process is a a pain. Uh, Yes, here's the quote. Quote, the centrality crucial to imperial administration was impossible to maintain when there was no quick method of communication from one end of the empire to the other. End quote. There you go. Yeah. Gamma 7 is just this impenetrable black hole of debauchery, crime, and sky-high saffron prices. Right. And there's no way for you to control that until, like we said earlier, our guy named Holtzman comes in. Hey. So again, this suspensor nullification effect that humanity stumbled upon all those years ago and that ruined house series is that third dimension. Holtzman eventually comes in in the year 7,562 BG, and he rocks the galaxy by telling them about the Holtzman wave which is the first dimensional force of the overall Holtzman effect. And the way this first dimensional force is described, this Holtzman wave is described, is that basically a transmission is sent by aiming a radio laser in sort of the general direction of the receiver. You don't have to be pinpoint accuracy with it. You just kind of have to point it in that direction and hit the send button. And the reason for this is because this transmission, once it's sent over this one-dimensional Holtzman effect 
wave will be translated into its original message when it hits anything that is denser than hydrogen. That's me. I'm denser than hydrogen. That is, in fact, all of us. <laughs> Everyone listening, denser than hydrogen. Oh, and that's I a compliment. I was special. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You're not a snowflake. Exactly. No snowflakes. <laughs> now, this was a little bit different when you were sending a message to a ship versus a planet. On a planet, there are countless things that are denser than hydrogen, right? Right. If you are sending that message specifically to a ship that is in space, a little bit different. And this explains why Transcom had to have those drop-in, drop-out points for their mm -hmm. ships to drop out of void space and check in, because when they shoot that radio laser in the direction of the ship, they have to be much more accurate, or they always have to shoot it at the same location where they know the ship will be. Because trying to hit a ship in space is much more difficult than generally hitting a planet to try, try and hit anything denser than hydrogen. It's very cool stuff. I mean, the encyclopedia yeah. gets really, really dense about this, but it is very cool world building to imagine the ways this technology and Holtzman's discoveries and the Holtzman effect in general are utilized throughout Dune history for space travel, but also specifically the drawbacks, right? It's not a magic bullet. We solved it. Nothing will ever be better than this. Right. There are drawbacks to the technology, and so humanity has to adapt its process in order to use it. It's cool to see. It is, which also carries us to the coolest to see moment of drawbacks and adaptation in the Dune history timeline. My fave. Your fave, the Butlerian Jihad. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> Who's that? What's, what's who? Because here's the thing. All of this is great, but as we've pointed out, it's all very determined by computation and computers and calculations, all of the navigations being done on board still. And so all of that's great, but it is very reliant on that technology continuing. And when the Butlerian Jihad erupted across the galaxy, this was a major wrench in the kind of beautiful cogwork that was the infrastructure of the galaxy at the time. Totally. And I mean, point in case, Transcom obliterated. Holy Their shit. Their stocks plummeted. They fired everyone. Holtzman became public enemy number one. He was killed, as we talked about in the Holtzman episode. Ooh. And the computers that were used in navigational ship consoles were banned and destroyed. Uh-oh. Which, if you have read Dune, you know, basically <laughs> sent humanity into a dark age. Yep. Right? Uh, the Dune Encyclopedia even puts it this grimly, quote, the elimination of man-machine interaction through hyperspace navigation back 10,000 years and shrank humanity's awareness of its breadth and diversity, end quote. Wow. All right. Well, let's take another breather here. Yeah. Because what happens after the Butlerian Jihad is critical to human history. It literally changes the way we measure time because the fucking Spacing Guild arrives on the scene, folks. Yeah. And they have a solution to our problem, a way to get out of the Dark Ages. So we'll talk a bit more about that after a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk now about the Spacing Guild. Right. And specifically talking about the Spacing Guild, we're going to talk about Highliners. Mm-hmm. Because naturally, we talked about the Spacing Guild. Again, we had a whole episode on the Spacing Guild. We had, we had two episodes, I think. On, yeah, I don't think uh, we might have done more than a one. Part one, part two. Go check it out. We talked about Norma Sevna and Aurelius Finport and yeah. that, oh, whole, yeah. that whole thing. Mm. Very, very cool backstory on how they did it. But in short, we'll just say that the Spacing Guild discovered the ability to use spice melange as a means of guaranteeing safe interstellar travel. Right. Without the use of computers. Yes. Spice Melange was the solution to travel safely by using prescience. And because of that discovery, they were able to basically claim a monopoly on all travel within the Imperium. Right. And one of their most important ships, their workhorse, the thing that kept their industry going and that was the foundation of their fleet was the Highliner. That's right. So let's talk a bit more about these Highliners because there is so much interesting information about them in the encyclopedia. And it gives us a lot of insight into the type of organization the Spacing Guild was and why they had such a monopoly on space travel. Yeah. To begin, the encyclopedia tells us that although Highliners did have some variance in design and style and size, they all shared these common attributes. They were extremely expensive and difficult to build. Makes nice. sense. Yeah. They were fast and very hard to drive. And all of them were powered by the Holtzman effect. So no matter what style or model of Highliner you have, they will all share these commonalities. And maybe the most interesting of these commonalities is that they were all shockingly durable. <laughs> yeah. They truly lasted much longer than you'd think. This quote blew me away because I, I truly didn't expect this to be the number. Yeah. And I was going to say, listener, take a moment. Think, we're talking about highliners. How long do you think a highliner would stay in service? Right. Just think of a number. You can say it out loud to yourself. You can say it quietly in your head. Turn to your partner, say it to them, no context. Yell the number at someone, <laughs> just <laughs> random on the street, just yell the number. And then, Abu, hit, hit us with this quote. Okay, here we go. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that there was a highliner that was used for, quote, the period from 4,768 to 8,287. <laughs> if you're doing yeah. the math, y'all, that is more than 3,500 years in service. <laughs> Unreal. 3,500 years. 3,500 wow. wow. years. I mean, some of the trains on the MTA are getting close to that number, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn, <laughs> that's impressive. That really shows you how effective these Highliners were, how well-built they were. Maybe that price tag was for a reason. Yeah. And... To really put the cherry on top of all of this information about Highliners, here's something that's also extremely impressive. Not a single Highliner in the entire history of the Spacing Guild was ever lost to military action. Mm. These motherfuckers were built Ford tough. <laughs> and it's very clear that the Guild 
had like a policy of like, don't park this in a war zone. Don't, yes. e- don't even get close, you know, park far away yeah, yeah. and then like offload your whatever. I think the Dune Encyclopedia even says it's like 150,000 kilometers from right. an active war zone is like the closest they'd get. So you're right. like, hey, can you take me to that war? And they're like, we'll take you in the direction of that war. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to exactly. take you to it. Don't get your, you know, yeah. hopes And up. look, that policy worked. A yeah. Highliner was never lost in a military action. Right. And they would last for thousands and thousands of years. Very, very impressive stuff. Yeah. And as we know from the books, another policy that the Spacing Guild had was BYOS, Leo. <laughs> Bring your own spaceship. And this is all very much in line with the overall Spacing Guild MO of shrouding everything in secrecy. Secrecy was a key priority for everything the guild did yeah i was thinking for like a real world analogy it's kind of like those boats that you drive your car onto and then they'll like yes bury you across something but you're not allowed to get out of your car (laughs) so it's like that you drive your car into the thing and then you're just in your car for the entire boat ride and you know if you want to get comfortable hope your car is comfortable that's basically uh, it's up to you yeah that's that's a great analogy and the privacy policy worked. I mean, this is oh, this is yeah. really this is something that we kind of know about, but it's worth stressing that the only reason the Dune Encyclopedia has any information on additional stuff about Highliners, other than what was it like sitting in the fucking cargo hold for you know eighteen days, everyone knows that that's the experience of writing a Highliner. The reason we know more about what Highliners are like is because of the discovery of Eta Ophiuchi, Ophiuchi, mm-hmm. something like that, which right. is a star, which is a planetless star. That's right. So the story of Eta, the star, is because Highliners didn't get blown up in war and because very few of them ever went missing in the grand scheme of things, they would be used until the point at which it was like, okay, time to retire them. Yeah. And they had to do something with the ships. Like they had to do something with those old ships. So we're told that recycling and deconstructing the ships, right? Scrapping them for part, maybe reutilizing components was really fucking complicated and super expensive. Mm-hmm. The uh, neutrino circuitry on the outside of the ships. Yep. I whatever know what the that fuck is. that means. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have some on my. Tamagotchi has some neutrino circuitry, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, it would stay, even once you pull the power, it would stay charged and, like, quote-unquote live for 150 additional years. Yikes. Uh So I kind of got the sense of, like, this is, like, nuclear waste or, like, there's something about it that you don't want to handle it, you don't want to fuck with it. Fair, fair. And instead of dismantling them or you know scrapping them or even i feel like just putting a you know harvest parts in 200 years sticker on the hole yeah uh they instead would just park the highliners in orbit around planetless stars like eta ofuki where historians then discovered uh one of these retirement sites uh, which basically gave them a chance to open all of those like employee only doors yes. and go into the, like the staff only break yeah. rooms and stuff like that, uh, which is very cool to think about. That's a really striking image. Now I'm almost imagining these planetless stars. Yeah. 
surrounded by like a graveyard of retired highliners just these like empty husks of these enormous ships just floating that's the thing and here's because again at one point i think at the height of the spacing guilds activity they had about five thousand highliners in service Mm -hmm. so realistically there are probably planets with hundreds if not thousands of highliners yeah ah very cool very cool That'd be fun to find in a game like Starfield or like yeah. um, one of those like space exploration games, just a planet or just a just a star with those like husks. Yeah, that would be very cool. All. If Starfield was better, it would have had that. <laughs> if Starfield were Dune, it would be better. I think we just, just cracked the code. We cracked the code. But that's to call us. <laughs> <laughs> now, you can't find this discovery in Starfield, but Dune historians did find it at Eda Ophiuchi. And we learned some interesting things from these highliner husks that the historians cracked open. In particular, like you said, for the employees, right? right there are historical right. records of what it's like for passengers to be on a guild highliner. But because of all of that secrecy, we don't know what the other side is like. Where do the employees stay? What, what's it like for them to work and live on these ships? This discovery revealed that every Highliner had, quote, gymnasia and other sorts of game rooms, libraries, and rather elaborate galleys, mm. end quote. Which <laughs> That sounds great. Sounds great? Sounds what the awesome. fuck? The Titanic? Yeah. yeah. That's sweet. What kind of, like what kind of games do you think they had? Ooh, Mario Kart and Mario Party. Oh my god. DDR. That's- Oh shit! Oh, that would be awful for the, <laughs> the spacing guild, <laughs> the the steersmen. Oh my god! Oh, my They're goodness. like, stop dancing! This is so fucking god hard. Damn it! I can't control the ship. <laughs> oh, new high score though. Yeah, <laughs> new high score. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I bet the game room on these Highliners was incredible. <laughs> now, luckily, there are game rooms and galleys and gymnasiums because there's not much else on a highliner you might think i am out in space maybe i'll look out at the beautiful stars at the cosmos a nebula the yeah, nebula yeah. uh no, no not no. so much there's no <laughs> windows there's no observation deck this highliner is flying blind because it doesn't need any of that stuff right yeah the navigators are using prescience to fly the ship they don't need to actually look out at anything they don't need computers to do anything for them yeah they are doing it through prescience so there is actually no way for you to sort of stand in a window and look out of a Highliner. They're not designed for that. It's also interesting to note that as far as the crew was concerned, based on these discoveries of the Highliner husks floating around Eta Ophiuchi, it's estimated that crew sizes were roughly sort of in the ballpark of 80-ish per Highliner, yeah. of which around five to eight would be the actual navigators themselves steering right. this monstrosity of a ship. Yeah, which actually brings us to something that I that I, I sort of I have a chip on my shoulder because okay I saw a lot of conversations as I was researching Highliners that are clearly people crossing wires, and I want to set the record straight. Okay, uh-huh. yes, Highliners are faster than light. They are not instantaneous Mm. they are not and people are like but it's called fold space 
It's fucking not. It's not fucking called Fold Space. Fold Space is a term that was introduced by David Lynch. David. Folks. <laughs> so here's the thing. How long a trip aboard a Highliner exactly is, because it's uh -huh. not instantaneous, is a little bit hard to pin down. The Dune Encyclopedia says that the fastest Highliner trip on record was a Highliner that traveled, quote, 8,138 light standard years in 19 days, 2 hours, 21 minutes, 40 seconds, end quote. Okay. Uh, which is really fucking fast, but is not instantaneous. That's correct. And to be clear, this is also corroborated by Frank's canon, right? Like, Yui gives Paul stuff to read for the flight from Kaladin to right. Arrakis. Totally. <laughs> it's not fucking math here. When people online are like, well, full space and instantaneous and it's right. All of that is not prime canon. It's not even secondary canon. Yeah. And I'm glad we took the opportunity to correct that record. So y'all know now. And now it's on you, dear listener, to correct everyone who's <laughs> wrong out there. We're tired of doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My fingers <laughs> the are is sore on you. <laughs> from flaming strangers on the internet. You're so fucking stupid. So if stupid, you check the stupid bro, I responding to you while dabbing. How does that make you feel? <laughs> now, actually, the encyclopedia does get into how exactly these highliners would navigate at trans speed. Again, not instantaneously, but perhaps across 19 days, 20 days, a month, whatever yeah, the yeah. trip took. It is, of course, in very classic encyclopedia fashion, very dense and very convoluted. So we will simplify it and be super brief here. The gist is that at the start of the trip, passengers and crew were instructed to buckle up. And you would think, hey, that's for my own safety. Seatbelts, safe. I don't want to die on this right. trip. Yeah. Sure, whatever. It actually wasn't for that. It was more to make sure that everything was held in space when the Highliner made the jump to void space, basically. Right. Yeah, like the it's said that the navigator, the, the Space and Guild navigator, who drops the ship literally into void space, into right. like translate space, wanted to make sure that everything was a linear up-down drop, and if everything was like moving around, wouldn't work and would fuck up calculations and all sorts right. of stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So less for people's safety, more to actually just fly the ship correctly. Yeah. But, you know, if you feel safer with a... Seatbelt on. Great. Who am I to tell you you're wrong, Jimmy? Right. Now, the Highliner and everything within a kilometer, which I found interesting, yeah. would, as you stated, drop into the void. And the passenger and the crew within the Highliner would then be allowed to sort of resume their activities, right? Right. right. For the duration of the trip, you're allowed to do whatever you want within the confines of your own ship, as we know from the book. Again, secrecy is key. Ideally, you aren't sneaking around other corners of the Highliner or other passengers' ships. Right. Now, near the end of the trip, at the proper moment, guided, again, by prescience, the guild's navigators would bring the Highliner back into real space. Whoop! We pop back into reality, and ideally, we are close enough to our destination for everyone to get out and get to where they're going. And that's the super simplified version of right. the process of getting on a on a Delta Highliner flight and getting off. Now, you might wonder, that's all very kind of abstract. 
what does that feel like? Yeah. I imagine the drop feels like Tower of Terror. <laughs> you know, you're, you're feeling that like plummet in space. You're like, whoa. And then, and then what is the rest of it like? Now, two quotes in particular kind of talk about maybe what that experience is once you've been through your Tower of Terror drop <laughs> right. into your translite journey. Right. From Children of Dune, quote, only the most violent maneuvers could be felt, and those as mere softened movements, end quote. And then, much more interesting, <laughs> quote, anyone who has ever traveled on a guild highliner has experienced a profound disturbance upon being told that while in transit, the traveler and the ship he rides are literally nowhere at all. Uh-huh. The intense feeling of being lost is sometimes too much for unstable individuals to bear, and repeated exposure to the void can lead to serious personality imbalances. Okay. End quote. All right. Yeah. Wow. That got dark real fast. I was thinking about like what the Dune Encyclopedia talked about with religion when people left Earth, what they thought about how their religion shifted, right? Like what is exposure to other planets and other cosmos and all these things do when you have like holy books that are written as like geocentric books, right? Right. So I was thinking about that in terms of like there are probably some baseline psychological things that we have about we are always somewhere. And if someone said, oh, by the way, right now, we are nowhere. I wonder if that would actually be like a really upsetting feeling or if maybe that's just us overthinking things. And maybe it's yeah. just like, uh, whatever. I guess I'll go back to playing Tears of the Kingdom on my Switch <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's like. Yeah, it is interesting because I feel more grounded or safer on a plane when I pull up that GPS thing that they have on the screen mm. and you can like watch your flight path just to like know where I am, even though it makes no sense logically, right? I'm not flying the plane. I can't even change the direction. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even know why we picked this flight path. You know, none of that information is actually relevant to me, but to look at it makes me feel less nervous on a plane, mm. which is obviously why they provide that information, right? And through that lens, I read this quote and instantly went, holy shit, if the guild didn't provide a flight path or if a flight path <laughs> doesn't exist because you're nowhere, yeah, that, I don't know, that might wrinkle your brain a bit. That might make you, at the very least, kind of nervous on a highliner. They have those screens and you're like, oh, there's a flight path button. That's cool. You push the button. It's just black. <laughs> and it's like a question, are you? And you're like, am I? <laughs> right existential it's interesting to think about and a fun little detail from the encyclopedia okay to round out this giant section of today's conversation about highliners we did want to share one final note because as we said highliners incredibly reliable lasted forever never lost in a war zone but that doesn't mean they had a perfect track record because they did not the guild was extremely cautious with them. They had those policies of secrecy, but some still went missing over the years. And there's this really interesting anecdote from the encyclopedia that we wanted to share about that. Quote, At least 57 other Highliners are known to have disappeared in transit, one with an emperor aboard, 
Hanur the seventh in nine thousand four hundred and seventy one. Nevertheless, the safety record of the Highliners, as of the Guild in general, must surely be one of the best in all the history and prehistory of public transportation. End quote. Damn. They really did gloss over, they lost the emperor of the universe. Yikes. <laughs> Can you imagine the PR day of that? Wow. Where it's like, okay, so I have some good news and bad news. Our track record, still phenomenal. That's really the good, good news. Really good. Better than the MTA. You know, it's just the safest. The bad news is, you know how the emperor was going to Gamma 7 to yell at them about their saffron prices? So yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He's um he's not anymore. Uh which is which is a bit of a problem. He's not talking to Gamma 7 anymore about those he's prices? Just, he's it's kind of it's bigger than that. Did the I mean, itinerary yes, change? Yes, he's not doing that anymore. Okay. Like yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. But also the rest of it, it's not anymore. He's not oh, he's he's not going to Gamma 7 at all. This I was, don't, this was like a big policy. <laughs> He he ran on this policy of getting no, Gamma no, Seven in line. No, I know I was there. I, I wrote half of the speeches, but it, <laughs> he no, he's he's not really going anywhere anymore. Uh, is he retired? Are you telling me the emperor is retiring? <laughs> in a sense, that might be the way to think about it. Yeah. Okay. In fact, that might be how we message it. He is retired from this plane of existence. <laughs> what, Jimmy? What? We fucking lost him, man. No! We lost. <laughs> we lost the emperor. Oh shit! No! We're so fucked. I was keeping We're it together so for the kids, fucked. but now I'm. Oh god. We're so fucked. Those saffron prices are never coming down. No. Oh god. Never again. Never again. Shaddam's like, can I go there? And they're like. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Oh, yes, you can. Uh... Yeah. Wow. That must so, have been yeah. a tough day at the Spacing Guild, for sure. Oh, truly. A tough yeah. day for the Imperium. Fucking Emperor went missing. Still floating <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> hey, kiddo, so you are the new Emperor, as it turns out. He's like What happened seven. to Papa? <laughs> what happened to Papa? <laughs> well, Papa... Uh, was dropped into the void and uh, is going to be forever wandering aimless. Wild stuff, wild stuff. <laughs> but yeah. still, regardless of that, 57 missing Highliners across thousands, like thousands and thousands and thousands. And thousands. Yeah. yeah, Pretty good track record. Yeah, and that carries us to our final section today, which is yes. space travel post the guild, which... Yeah, it's kind of a misnomer because the guilt's around, but this is like, where do we where do we go from here? Where does the technology go from here? Yes, but we want to touch briefly on how space travel evolves in the later timeline of Dune. Again, keeping things uh, spoiler free, and one of the big paradigm shifts that kind of rocks humanity and rocks space travel for humanity is this reliance on spice. Right. So similar to the collapse of, oh, I don't know, the whole empire because of the reliance on computers and then the sudden removal of computers, spice being the sole thing that allows for space travel to happen is not an ideal situation. Not at all. And from the earliest days of spice being the solution, there were people trying to figure out an alternative to spice so that they could get back to 
traveling without having to rely on literally that one thing. Yeah. And this is thousands of years of the Ixians, the smartest technophiles in the universe, mm -hmm. trying their hardest, even breaking great convention rules. We're told that they even broke the law and used computers. <gasps> they, would, they would test. I know. It's really scandalous. It's really scandalous. <laughs> Get your kids out of the room. They use computers. And even so, they were not able to get their navigational systems that they were trying to develop on par with the accuracy of guild prescience. Yeah. And it was only to the level of we'll still lose a ship every once in a while, which is just not acceptable. Right. And all of this is a holding pattern of trying and failing these different things until, until... the uh, birth of a very specific person. That's right. That's right. An Ixian fella named Curl S. Swag, yeah. who was born in the distant, distant year of 14,071 <sighs> AG after a guild. Damn. Curl Swag re-examined the issues that the Ixians had been having with thousands of years of experimentation. Right. Going back to the drawing board. Like, let's look at it. Absolutely. He went back to that drawing board and specifically, <laughs> uh -huh. he went back super duper uh -huh. motivated. Um, high on spice is the words you're looking for. <laughs> oh, high on drugs. Oh, high on cool. drugs. He got nice. <laughs> absolutely blasted on spice. And he just went back to the drawing board and was like, what are we doing wrong here? How can we crack this puzzle of the spice right. dependency? Right. And he has an intellectual breakthrough. Yeah. Leo, what yes. if uh -huh. light is time? I'm mean, going to have to sit with that for a few <laughs> hundred years, I think. <laughs> that was his breakthrough. Yeah. And sure enough, this new theory holds water. And it worked brilliantly by re-examining this problem through the lens of light being time and time being light as the same force, right? It's all one and the same. Right, right, right. It opened up this new era of transportation for humanity in the Dune universe. And so Swag takes this theory, he runs with it, he develops what would be called the Swagation Timelight Deflector. And when this deflector was connected with older Ixian technologies, boom. We did it, y'all. We're able to navigate through space. Again, that problem with space travel, navigation, we're able to do it once again without the need of spice and without the need of computers. Nice. Super cool. We did it. Swag yeah. effectively created interstellar EVs. <laughs> yeah. No more fossil fuels, y'all. Ah, oh, incredible. It is super interesting. And if you are into physics and if you're into science and sci-fi stuff, that last portion about uh, Kirill Swag is so cool because it talks mm -hmm. about the the way that all this works. And I actually found reading it, it works really well, too, with passages from the books where when people talk about the experience of peering through prescience, there is often like verbiage about light and seeing right. this you know, seeing the things interfering with light rays and beams. I don't know. It's like 
it kind of worked. And I was like, shit, dude, whoever wrote this encyclopedia entry uh, killed it. And killed it's it. Wonderful. Probably took a lot of spice and they had a breakthrough. <laughs> Got really high. <laughs> Just like Curl Swag, like our yeah. hero, Curl Swag. Yeah. And another character I'd love to see an HBO series about. I'd love to, yeah. We're going to wrap up now. And as we like to do, we're going to wrap up on a question. And uh, the question I've got for you, Abu, uh huh, uh huh, is you're going on a highliner journey. All okay. right. Let's say you got 20 days highliner journey, yep. ETA. They use ways. They say, hey, how are we going to get to uh, <laughs> G- Gamma 7? We're going to buy some <laughs> saffron and do some debauchery, some hedonism. Yes. Uh, what are you packing in your travel kit? Ooh, ooh. Um, okay, so to start, whenever I travel, I have some essentials, right? We all do. Sure. Yeah. Bone, charging cables. I always bring a book with me. You always got to pack snacks, uh-huh. especially for a long 20-day highliner trip. Got to have the <laughs> snacks with me. Uh, yeah. Extra undies. You never know what could happen out there in space. True. Always pack some extra underwear. I think to get a little more specific, when it comes to highliner travel in particular, I'd want to make sure to pack a really nice pair of noise-canceling headphones. I know mm. space is silent. That's not really what I'm canceling out. I think the point of the noise-canceling headphones is to try and drown out the existential dread. Of, oh, interesting. Of knowing yeah. that I don't exist in the void. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of like really put my headphones on and just... Make Watch that little space anime for yourself. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, play Tears of the Kingdom on my Switch, you know? <laughs> um, I think some other essentials are more about comfort than existential mm. dread. I definitely would pack a pair of cozy socks, mm. depending on how long the trip goes. I mean, 20 days is fairly long. I think for 20 days, I would actually pack two pairs of socks. Mm. Cozy yeah. socks. You know, regular socks, of course. You pack a bunch right, right, of those. Right. But Naturally, yeah. Uh, I'm talking like winter Fluffy like winter socks. Fluffy wool, like really soft yeah. merino merino wool. Hell yeah, exactly, exactly. So I would definitely pack those as well. Nice, yeah. Um, and then the final thing I'd want to make sure to do is just download a lot of content to watch. Mm, I yeah. don't know that Wi-Fi reaches out into the void <laughs> of non-existence. Uh-huh. So I'd have to pre-download a lot of entertainment, podcasts, movies, TV shows, just to like really make sure I had stuff to do for the 20 days of the travel. Because when I sit back and kind of think about it, I had this realization mm-hmm. in the research for this episode that at the end of the day, it really sounds like highliner travel is pretty boring. There's not like, <laughs> I don't know, I, I was on a small cruise ship in Scandinavia recently. and There was like activities and food and dinner and like things to do on the ship. And it was only a 15 hour trip. And even then, I was kind of like bored. Yeah. 20 days on a Highliner where you're not allowed to leave your own ship. Sounds kind of boring. But ultimately, I know I'm making that sound like a negative thing. I think that's a very positive thing. Mm. I want all of my long, long-term long travel to be exactly that, safe and boring, right? Like, mm. I, I want yeah. any sort of public transportation vehicle I'm on to feel incredibly boring and incredibly safe. And it, it feels like, for the most part, Highliners achieve that. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. What about you? What would you pack for your Highliner trip? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, okay. So, like you, I've got my go-to supplies, right? 
I pretty much always have my laptop with me in yes. order to edit episodes of Come to Bar or work on scripts. <laughs> Because again, just because I'm taking this 20 day trip does not mean production of Gamjabar stops. No, Absolutely no, no. not. Yeah. Travel right. microphone. Non existence is not an excuse. Not an excuse. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'd probably bring, you're right, there's no view. So I'd probably bring entertainment. You know, I uh, here's the thing I think I would strike a balance of 50 50. I do like trips on ships and planes and blah, blah, blah. For unplugging doing art doing something like visceral and tangible it's kind of fun and that sort of like forced just being still and being with yourself can be kind of nice absolutely uh so i i think i would do i would have like my my phone my gadgets my um my vr headset i would probably bring it's almost always in the background of my my shot here yeah uh If the Apple Vision Pro is out, I'd bring that, you know, mm-hmm. just to get that full immersion. I want to play those games and be in those faraway places. But I would also have like planned porn. Uh, I also <laughs> would have the planned like unplugged periods. And I was just thinking it'd be really cool as a as like an art major kind of thing. You know, vinyl player, some vinyls, right? Listen to some vinyls and a typewriter. And I would type a book whoa entirely while not in existence so it'd be like short stories from the void or something like that you know like holy shit and that would be the gimmick of the book is that this book was not written in this universe it was not even written in space this book was written outside of space right oh my gosh if a book was written in the void can you even read it can you even read it you, and it turns out you can. You, and it turns out the yeah. writing's fine. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like It'll a four published. out of 10 book. But still, <laughs> that's the gimmick. And that would be I kind of fun. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, just like kind of ideas, stories, you know. Sort of yeah. Thing. Oh, so, so fun. You know. Oh, oh. And then final, very important thing that I couldn't travel without. My House Atreides Royal Ornithopter Lego <laughs> set. Are you fucking kidding me? Let's go. <laughs> Pop on a record, pop on the Dune soundtrack on vinyl. Oh my God. Build an ornithopter out of Legos. Let's fucking go. That ornithopter looks amazing. I pre-ordered mine. <laughs> nice, nice. Wow. Of yeah. course, you got to bring that with you everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every I, And then when you're done making it, you have to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it. It's it's kind of a meditation, you know, yeah. it's sort of all while reciting Fear is the Mind Killer, the best quote in all of Dune. Yes. Over and over and over. And on that note, that (laughs) is the episode today, y'all. That's it. That's a little bit and a lot of bit about space travel and highliners in the Dune universe. Now, before we let you go, we do have a couple of reminders for you, as always, at the end of the show on how to support us and how to keep in touch. Indeed. And the best way, as always, to support us is, oh, I don't know. Why don't you take your little fingies and you type in patreon.com forward slash gamjabar, tap, 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 type, 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 and then choose a support level that works with your current financial situation because you know what? Becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash gamjabar is the best way yes. to support us here on Gamjabar. You get benefits, ad free episodes, early mm-hmm. access to our book club episodes, you get bloopers and clips posted monthly, weekly, and also access to our Discord server where we're constantly chatting and hanging out and right. loving Dune stuff yes. all the time. That's right. Now, another great way to support us is to get yourself something nice, 
from our Dune-themed merch store at gamjabarshop.com. We've got art up there. We've got apparel, mugs, tote bag, ah, so much more. All of the essentials that you'll need to pack on your next Highliner trip. Gamjabarshop.com. Very true. And finally, we love to hear from you. So if you liked this episode, if you hated this episode, if you have thoughts, opinions, fears, hopes, dreams, if you have uh, an obscure animal that you've never heard the sound of it, let us know what th- that animal is, and maybe we can help you find the sound. Gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> is our email address. You can reach out to us with any of those above things, as well as things I didn't list. That's so, right. Yeah. Send us emails. <laughs> Say hi. Did you have an animal in mind? No, I just saw a TikTok of a koala yeah. cry the other day, and it okay. freaked me out because it was really, it was like, it was, it was rough. It's horrifying. I've never heard that. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, oh, boy. I saw, oh, a, uh, I also saw a, a lion, a sea, sea lion uh, the other okay. day, okay. and it was terrifying. It was, it's the kind right. of thing where you're like, okay, cool, not going in the ocean, that sort of thing. Like like a sea lion just talking? Or all of these animals are crying? They are, it's probably talking. I don't know. I don't know how many animals <laughs> communicate with just their like verbal sounds. Okay. You know, cats pretty much only make verbal sounds for us. They only really meow I for I recently us. learned this, yes. Yeah. My sister yeah. has a cat. Yeah. And the cat meows at me all the time. And my sister was like, that's her talking to you specifically. Cats don't yeah. meow at each other. Only they humans. Don't. Right. How yeah. cool is that? Animals are crazy, man. Animals are crazy. <laughs> Bro, you know what's fucking <laughs> crazy? Animals. <laughs> yeah. Is? Is animals? Time. Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's we exactly just solved science. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> After 150 episodes, we got one brain cell between us, buddy. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> so true. Oh, my God. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.